KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. To be honest, I was always a better basketball player, and I was much more talented on the court than I was in the gym. But the gym and flipping around and hanging out with my team brought something to my life that I didn't have elsewhere. So it was that fun piece. I got to be a daredevil. I got to throw things. So gymnastics really just was a blast. And our guest this week is Kim Valenti. She is the head gymnastics coach at Ursinus College out in Collegeville, and Kim, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me, Matt. So as we are recording this, probably won't be coming out until January, but it's December here. What is life for Ursinus Gymnastics right now? Yeah, so we are prepping for our inner squad Friday. We have our annual Red versus Gold. That's our kind of kickoff event where we meet the team. We put out new routines and our freshmen get a first, first go at collegiate gymnastics. How many athletes are on your roster? I have 21 on roster this year. How many events fall under the gymnastics? I think most people's gymnastics introduction is Olympics. So we see, are you competing in the same types of events that we we watch in the Summer Olympics? Yep. Four events, vault bars, beam floor. Do you have specialists? I do. Or does... Does everyone have a working knowledge of all and you can plug in where needed? Yeah, so it's a little both. We have specialists for sure that... You know, or maybe two event kids, and then we have women that train the all-around, but maybe are only competing on one or two events, depending week by week. So when did you get introduced to gymnastics? Is this something that started very young? Yeah. So my mom enrolled me in a preschool at about age three that was run kind of at a gymnastics club up in the South Shore of Massachusetts, So, you know, some schooling, and then we played in the gym. I have some pictures of me on a trampoline at pretty young, but definitely broke away from it for a few years. Um, I was one that played a lot of sports when I was younger, came from a family that loved sports. So I really, I would say, picked up gymnastics consistently around age eight and kind of worked my way up in my club through the USA Gymnastics now developmental program than it was the junior Olympic program. Did you feel like you were good at that young age or was it just fun and it's what you did or was there a, a cognizant recognize recognition that, wow, I'm pretty good at this. I can do things other kids can't seem to do. Yeah. A little of both. Um, to be honest, I was always a better basketball player. Always played travel leagues through middle school. Um, and I was much more talented on the court than I was in the gym. But the gym and flipping around and hanging out with my team brought something to my life that I didn't have elsewhere. Um, so it was that fun piece. I got to be a daredevil. I got to throw things um, up in the air. So gymnastics really just was a blast. What were you doing gymnastics-wise? What was your focus? Were you doing a little bit of everything? Yeah, so most um, young gymnasts growing up train the all-around. So you're competing all four events when you're younger. Nowadays, you can specialize a little more, but basically everyone is doing all-around. What was your favorite? 
really just depended on what skills I was doing at that time. Growing up, I would say I hated beam. You know, it's pretty scary to flip mm-hmm. on four inches. And that I loved, you know, more of the power events like floor and vault. As you get a little older and you come to that point where gymnastics starts being a little scary, 15, 16, you realize I'm running full speed at an inanimate object and I'm a little nervous about that. You know, so then I started more fine-tuning on, on things like beam when I was a bit older. You mentioned the scary part because that's big for me. And when I say my gymnastics was in gym class in high school and you mm-hmm. had to do X amount to, to pass. But to your point, like there's so much that can go wrong. And that is unathletic me doing it to pass gym. So <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine when you start competing at higher and higher levels where the baseline can scare you to death. Mm -hmm. Do you remember having moments where you were genuinely scared or did it not, I don't want to say didn't click, but it was just life and it was just what was expected and you look at it through a completely different lens than someone like me looks at it? Sure. I would say probably about half the gymnasts out there look at it like you're mentioning and have fears. Absolutely. The other half are just, you know, have a little bit of that. I reference the daredevil, but, you know, that really fuels them. Um, For the most part, kids have that fear and you're constantly breaking down that fear and working through that fear and that that exists even through the college ranks. But no, I definitely had had mental blocks at times, had plenty of practices where I would balk on the balance beam going for my flight series because I was scared. And flight series, I'm just assuming that is doing a doing the flips on on the balance beam. Yep. Which when you kind of say it out loud is like bonkers. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> did yep. you ever have it really go badly? Like, have, did you have any, I don't want to say catastrophic, but like things, things that spooked you? Thankfully, I did not. I mean, the crashes that I had and the crashes that most gymnasts have would be terrible to the average person. You know, the slide down the side beam bites or the miss the bar on your release and maybe you're hitting your heels or there are plenty of things that can go wrong, like you said. But thankfully for me, nothing catastrophic. I never had any major surgeries, which also lends itself to you want kids to work off of that experience and help use that to help break down the fear, but sometimes it just can't. It's up in that mind and it's it's too scary. But thankfully, no, nothing catastrophic. When do you start looking at gymnastics as a vehicle that can carry you further than most? I would say your sophomore year. High school. High school. You start thinking about, okay, is this something I want to do in college, you know, for the average gymnast? For those elite rank level 10 national qualifiers every year from the time that they're eighth grade on, you know, they're planning and their clubs have been planning like you're going to be a scholarship kid. But, you know, when I was going through high school, even into my senior year, I was going on official visits, unsure still of where I was going to land. That's more rare these days. Still exists at the Division three level, but with recruiting happening earlier and earlier, official visits happening now in the junior year, a lot of those kids are already committed. So I would say the sophomore year is the time that you really start thinking about it. Um, with that said, for some kids, it's even as late as junior or senior, but for others, they're committed verbally earlier. Was there ever a point where you considered the Olympic track, like giving no. giving it a shot, or did you were you no. realize you weren't? There, that I was never that. I was never that caliber. 
Well, when did you? It's an interesting self awareness for a youngster to have because sure. you know you're young. You think you're bulletproof, and why yeah. can't I do that? Yeah. Was it just you were kind of grounded enough to kind of look at the room and go? I can do X, Y, and Z, but I can't do A, B, and C, and it makes more sense to go this way. Yes, and I had great coaches that helped me navigate that. My coach most of my young adult life was Jay Santos. He's now the head coach out at Arizona State, and he was wonderful during my youth, just kind of guiding me and mentoring me, but we always knew where we stood. You know, I was a level eight, level nine, was never really even truthfully a strong, strong level nine. And to be on that Olympic track, you're a level 10 for years and then you become an elite and so on. What's the, give us a quick primer on those, those levels. I mean, are we dealing like on a one to 10 as far as, is that like skill level basically? Yes. Yep. Yep. So those are all under the USA Gymnastics umbrella. When I was young, my gym, every gym is a little different, every private club. My gym didn't really start until level four. There are some clubs now that do level two. But yes, you have it exactly correct. You're going up, you're working your way up to level 10, and then you're on that elite international track. So what is it like for you when you're at your best as a competitor and you nail whatever you are doing yeah if it i don't care if it's in competition or in the gym on a tuesday like Mm -hmm. that has to be a feeling of accomplishment that is unmatched yeah almost in life yes and i think that's what made it for me so special because it is that individual sport it's you against yourself against the uneven bars you know versus you know i referenced loving basketball and being very good at basketball But it was a team effort, which brought its own um, special victories to the table. But when you won at gymnastics, and I don't necessarily mean first place, I mean doing your best, scoring your career high, finishing that routine on a Tuesday, like that was the best one in your life, it is a high like you've never felt. I referenced beam being scary, but my good days on beam were better than any other days. When you just fell on square over the top of the balance beam, there was nothing like it. And similarly on bars, I mean, bars and beam are just two detail-oriented events that when you're on, you're on, and it just feels great. Did your basketball skill set help you in gymnastics at all? Were there things that you honed on the court that you kind of realized at a certain point, like, wow, being able to do that has really helped me do this. That's an interesting question. I'm sure yes, and even the basics of the speed and agility and the mental piece of being a good teammate, you know, certainly skills I learned across playing all those youth sports, and I'm sure there were some details within that, but also vice versa, I bet. Gymnastics involves a flexibility that I don't know that I ever stretched at a basketball practice or not well, you know. Learning splits was tough for me when I was little, but I'm sure there are some some small things. When it comes to routines in gymnastics, regardless of what you're doing, are there set routines? Are you developing them? Are you given a list of, okay, for this competition, you have to do these five things, Is it like laid out specifically or are you handed them and you have to include them, but it's up to you to mix them together? 
So there's a list of requirements, and you're working off of fulfilling those special requirements. And those can be fulfilled from a variety of different ways. And often your coach is working with you or identifying your strengths and choosing those skills. Or sometimes it's just the skill that comes easier to you and is more natural. So you're you're fulfilling those requirements that are set by whether it's USA Gymnastics for that particular level or you know, in the NCAA, we have our rules modifications document, which, you know, works off of the developmental program, USA Gymnastics rules. And then you're kind of building a routine with, with some bonus pieces and some compositional requirements to achieve your, your highest start value and, and all of your bonus components. Through your career, what was the toughest thing for you? Was there a specific event or part of an event that you were able to do, but it took the most work and was the the toughest rock to climb? Yeah, it really varied for me in particular. And sometimes it was based off of how was my body at that time in reference to like injury. I was one that was pretty prone for ankle sprains, never catastrophic ankle injuries and surgeries, but just bad grade three sprains, rolled ankles, So during those times, you're swinging a lot more bars. Um, Bars was really strong for me when I was younger, but was an event that by the time I was in college, I really struggled. Um, I had trouble kind of allowing the swing to happen, wanted to like muscle through it, and you just can't do that on bars. I referenced beam flight series. That was really hard for me. But once I kind of got over that mountain towards college, you know, it became much easier. Vault got harder as I got older as well, you know, just finding that power, quick twitch. And the landings, when you land short on vault, that that hurts, you know, versus some of the others you can get away with a little more. And then floor, you know, again, sort of varied depending on what my tumbling passes were. I didn't really have kind of one event or skill that I couldn't really ever conquer. There were things I didn't achieve, certainly, but most of which I got to a point where I became more settled as a gymnast and could find a way within the rules to kind of fulfill requirements. So as a young gymnast, talked about your sophomore year, you start to look at colleges, you decide to Mm -hmm. go to James Madison, Mm -hmm. and you arrive at James Madison, young student athlete, excited to tackle the world, and a month in, you get slapped in the face that they're getting rid of the gymnastics program. What was that? Like emotionally, mentally, was it something that you were given a heads up during the recruiting process that, hey, we don't know this could happen? Or I know a lot of times it kind of comes out of nowhere and everybody's moved into a room and the athletic director comes in and says, sorry, here's what's going to happen. Was that what it was? Exactly. Yep. We actually learned later that our head coach was told even in a meeting an hour prior, he had no idea. So, you know, nothing was let on in the in the recruiting process. We all settled in so well. It was devastating. The only thing that I can say made it a little better, you know, you were in it with your team, of course, but JMU did it in a way where they cut 11 sports, which was both, again, devastating, but you had a large group, a large population that was in it together. And we did sit-ins in the president's office. We did a lot of things that year, 2006, 2007, where we were in it together and there was a huge group of us. And not that that made it necessarily any easier, but you knew you weren't alone. So what are you dealing with here? Because you were a freshman, Mm -hmm. so very possible for you to 
kind of just re-engage into the recruiting process Mm -hmm. and you've still got all your eligibility and, you know, you shake hands. Sorry, it didn't work out, but you stayed like, why, what, what went into, and you did get one year at that varsity level as a freshman, correct? Yes. Yes. We competed that freshman year, my freshman year and the university grandfathered scholarships and our status as student athletes. We were able to keep our you know, athletic advisors and use of the student athlete weight room and the services, you know, but of course it was nothing like doing your sport. And there were student athletes that transferred between the 11 sports. Did you consider Um, it? For a hot minute, to be honest, I was settled. I loved JMU as a whole. Um, Harrisonburg is beautiful. If you've never been, you know, in the Shenandoah Valley there, it's beautiful. And growing up a, a girl in southeastern Massachusetts in Stoughton, Mass., you know, it was a very different area, um, and that's what I wanted. I wanted to be 12 hours from home. I wanted to explore a new place and meet new people, and and that's what I got at JMU. And I settled in well, found great friends, enjoyed my classes, found some great professors, started really on a track academically that I was excited about. So while I considered it for a hot minute, I knew I was home in that sense. And knowing there were other opportunities, I did pursue diving and then, you know, into club gymnastics, at least I was still able to to do my sport. So it was worth staying. Do you think the, because I kind of come back to the conversation we had about the Olympics mm-hmm. and you were just so clear-eyed about, mm-hmm. does that help in this situation Definitely. as well? Like just kind of that there are bigger things. Yes, this sucks to a point, but mm-hmm. let's do the whole pro-con and let's be realistic about it. Yes, exactly. And gymnastics being, you know, limited sport offerings at the collegiate level, I didn't know with the ability I was what would even be available to me. Um, and like I referenced, I was settled and I did love it. You know, I think had a group of five of us decided we were in it together transferring somewhere, that might have been one thing. But yeah, I mean, we were we were home, we were settled and... My parents were wonderful through it, helping me navigate just the bigger picture of life and why we're at college, not necessarily just to do gymnastics and um, just to think about it more holistically. So what was competing that year like? I would imagine it's kind of a freshman and a senior year wrapped up in one in a way. Yeah, lots of tears, (laughs) you know, and it feels like forever ago, to be honest, but I was heartbroken for, let's say, the the juniors that year most, I think, because they had had some years behind them. You know, they were excited to finish their career well. There were a couple of teammates in particular I had that were upperclassmen that you were just heartbroken for them. Um, We didn't really know any better. Um, It was all new to us. So everything, you know, we enjoyed every day, whether it was a Tuesday in the gym or a you know, inner squad day or competing at Towson or competing at Cornell. Um, our ECAC championship that year was was amazing with parent tailgate. And I think we really just lived it up knowing that it was our last. We had a play like it's the last time, enjoy the ride type of motto. Um, and everyone really leaned into that. You're, what you're describing is like the intensity turned up to 11 for everything. And in retrospect, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have designed it this way. Mm-hmm. But did that make it so much more special because Meaningful. everything mattered? Yeah. 
You, yeah. There were no throwaway meets. There were no throwaway yeah. workouts. Everything mattered, and that gave you an experience unlike any other. Yeah. I mean, you're kind of hitting the nail on the head there. It really was just so special. We had a men's team counterpart at JMU who also was told that they were being cut, and we shared practice time with them. Um, our head coach was actually the head coach of both programs, and you know there were plenty of days, like I said, where you just caught teammates, the guys or the girls. Somebody was crying, upset, but you know you were able to still turn it around and recognize just the opportunity and the privilege that we had to be able to still be there that day and do it. It was still hard. It was still a grind. I was still scared of flight series, you know, um, but it really was special. So you compete at the club level for the rest of your career. Or I guess you said yeah. you dove for a year and then you went dove to my club? sophomore year, dabbled in club my sophomore year, but couldn't quite commit to walking in that gym every day, knowing that we weren't supported by the university the way we were the year prior. So dabbled in the gym because gymnastics is my love, but I did dive and that was a great experience. Had a wonderful coach overall, you know, going in the water on your head backwards just wasn't for me. Understandable. <laughs> you're, you're taught to land on your feet, which I did have a number of dives that went in on my feet, which before diving, I didn't really know that that was a thing. But, and then my junior and senior year, yes, competed within the NAIGC, the club ranks for the collegiate teams and had an, had an awesome time. And for people who aren't familiar, when you're competing, you have a schedule, you're playing other mm-hmm. schools, you're traveling yeah. to, it's just yeah. not at that varsity, it's, you know. Yeah, not sanctioned by NCAA, um, it's governed by a smaller entity, the NAIGC. So, Although I say smaller, but really there are more, more teams, right. more colleges that offer club teams than they do varsity teams. You mentioned it was tough getting in the gym when it wasn't Mm -hmm. supported and completely understandable. After having that year at varsity, though, with everything turned to 11, you love it, but was it tough sometimes at the club level? Oh, yeah. Especially when it's more a you sport than it is an us sport? Yeah, because that's what makes college gymnastics so special is you grow up at, you know, a club level doing gymnastics in the Junior Olympic, now developmental program, where it's all individualized, all the pressures on you all the time. And then college, you realize, oh, I'm one of just a lineup that builds this team score. And it's so special. But then kind of, even though club at the collegiate level is that same way, you're right. It just, it changed things for me a bit. I would say by my senior year, I was finally able to kind of buy back in and be willing to give myself fully, but it was really tough. We need to take a break. We will have more with our Sinus Women's Gymnastics head coach, Kim Valenti. Right after this, this is one-on-one. And we are back continuing our conversation with our Sinus College head women's gymnastics coach, Kim Valenti. Is coaching always something you figured Mm. you would have a hand in one way or another, whether it was just, you know, weekends helping out or going all in at the collegiate level? Like, yeah. was this always going to be on the resume? It was just a matter of what form it took? So my club gym growing up back in Stoughton, Massachusetts, was one of those clubs where you could help out at the gym, whether you were helping out with preschool classes or a smaller team class. Once you turned, I think it was 14, you could help out at the gym, and the owner would 
pay you by taking it off tuition. Um, and if you don't know, gymnastics is a pretty expensive sport. Um, so my parents, you know, I was I was happy to help out at the gym. I was a gym rat. I would finish school each day at three and basically go to the gym three to nine. I would help out and coach three to five, and then my practice went five to nine. So I was coaching, even if it was teaching a three-year-old a forward role from the time I was, yeah, 14, 15. By the time I was 18, I had my own keys to the gym, and I, you know, ran birthday parties on the weekend, you know, was helping out with the level three, four team, and loved it, you know, so fun. In the summers, I would do summer camps, and then fast forward, when I went off to college, I spent my summers at a camp out in Pennsylvania called Woodward. Um, now no longer exists as a gymnastics camp, unfortunately. But that was really what transformed my coaching from, you know, I'm having fun with it at the rec level, teaching technique, but mostly let's just have fun to, you know, really learning gymnastics technique, really learning spotting, hands-on coaching. I would say people like Greg Frew, who had coached at William & Mary and NC State, mentored me to be the coach that I am today. So, you know, that helped a lot when JMU decided to cut the program and we became a club program. Well, club teams don't typically have coaches. Really? Um, depending on the, the school and the level, but JMU did not. So truthfully, I mean, that was kind of the way in which I eased back in more. I would go in the gym and work out myself, but I was doing more coaching. Um, and I was doing more like, okay, let me stand in for your spot. So that was fun and certainly something that opened my eyes to, oh, I could I could do this as a career. In the meantime, I was going to school for education. I was going to be a high school history teacher was my game plan and had always planned to go get my master's degree. But it sort of became a pipe dream of what if I could coach at the collegiate level and started to see this turn of, you know, there were graduate assistants and volunteer coaches and and student athletes that would graduate and then stay and help out with their alma maters. Well, obviously, that wouldn't be an opportunity for me, but it was something that I started to look into my senior year of, of college and started to think on, like, where could I go get my master's where I could also help with a program? Yeah, and coaching just became something that I started really thinking bigger picture about. Originally, the game plan was be a teacher, teach seven to three, and then just coach all night. <laughs> I quickly realized that would be unsustainable, but that was my thought process at the time. Just as an aside, as a history teacher, gymnastics, like many Olympics, there's mm -hmm. a political angle that we see bubble up, you know, whether it's the Cold War, sure. stuff like that. Your, your love of gymnastics, does it play into that? Do you ever look at gymnastics through kind of a, a history slash political lens over the years, what we've seen at the Olympic level? At times, it's been fun to watch the trends, but it's never been something that I've like delved into. My loves of history were more Revolutionary War, World War II. I was a big military historian. My dad was an Air Force vet, fought in Vietnam. And so that was where my loves for history really um, came from. But certainly it was interesting seeing kind of the rise of you know, Soviet gymnasts and Eastern European bloc technique and just coaches that had different styles, but not necessarily a, an overlap for me. So coaching, I know you coached MIT, mm -hmm. Temple, 
pen, and then obviously or science. But you also yeah. traveled a lot doing camps and stuff like that. Exactly. We're all over the, yeah. the country, right? Yep. Yeah, I coached a number of different private camps, you know, held out of clubs or um, showcase events, as well as other college camps, University of Alabama, Georgia, Towson, University of New Hampshire. So it's been a really fun ride to be able to do those types of things in the summer and in the off season. Where are the hotbeds for gymnastics in the U.S.? As someone who has coached, who has traveled, who has mm-hmm. competed, mm-hmm. are there there has to be places that, like any other sport, that when you're recruiting, when you're looking, mm-hmm. are the first three boxes mm-hmm. that are checked. Where are they? Mm-hmm. Texas is a big area, Region 3. Um, I would also say up kind of Washington, California, and then the South has some great gyms. Truthfully, it's there are a lot of really, really great clubs. I mean, I'm leaving out Region 5, as I say that, the middle of the country. You know, there are some really great clubs in different areas of the country, and those are the clubs that are going to produce your elite athletes and those athletes that are going on to the Olympics. You know, the places that I've coached at and recruited at, while maybe I'm looking at those types of clubs, I'm also – looking elsewhere, and of course being um, a recruiter at an Ivy League institution is much different than a Temple scholarship school. So certainly the ways in which I've recruited have been different over the years. But hotbeds, I mean, a lot of our last world and or a couple of the last world and Olympic team members were all from the same club in Texas, um, Simone Biles' club. So, you know, that kind of varies through the country, but there are definitely hotbeds. And when you are recruiting, mm-hmm. regardless of who you're recruiting for, is it club? Are is it very rarely the high school like a ex high school's team? Is it more is it much more Private you're going clubs. to the clubs? Yes. I would even argue most high schools don't even have gymnastics. Right. Um so it's clubs. So through all this coaching experience and your assistant at the collegiate level through these stops before or side. Mm-hmm. But when you're doing like camps and mm-hmm. stuff like that, mm-hmm. you're de facto a lot of times, I would imagine, a head coach, depending on like you're for that, the session of that camp and stuff like that. Yeah. You're you're a head coach, right? Yeah. It really just depends on how the camp is structured. Um, thinking back when I was doing Alabama camp, you know, there were times I was on bars with one of the coaches from Alabama. Um, so I'm not necessarily designing the the workout or the drills. You know, I'm I'm helping alongside, so still assisting in a way. There are other camps where I'm just sort of assigned an event, and it's, yep, you're the head coach of that event. Go for it. So it varies. So through all this time, and you had, when you were an assistant at Penn, which was your last stop before Sinus, mm-hmm. you were an assistant coach, and then did you, you went to more kind of an athletic administration role exactly. away specifically from gymnastics, right? Yeah, yeah. So... 2015, um, moved out of the coaching role. 2016, moved into athletic administration. I was feeling a little bit like I was missing the the challenge of that academic part of my life. You know, sort of had a moment of reevaluation where I thought maybe I'd rather go into student-athlete advising and not just work with gymnasts in the gym, but, you know, work with all other athletes and help them find their paths, whether that was career development or just more um, advising along the collegiate route. Ultimately, I wasn't sure at that point 
the the coaching staff fit at Penn wasn't right for me. And, you know, I was able through the administrative job to to get a hand in a number of different things, which was awesome. But what I found, you know, a year or two later was that I just missed being in the gym. And I found myself doing some private coaching along the way. I worked with a company called Gymnast Mindset, which did some mindset training specifically for gymnasts. So constantly still wanting to pop in and do guest coaching or camps in the summer and just felt the pull of the gym. How much did that, it's it's always fascinating when I do these conversations and you kind of reverse engineer people's path, mm-hmm. how you can see how everything plays into where they are today. And you are no exception because when you talk about all the travel, meeting all the different types of people and working with all the types of gymnasts, but also having the administrative hand where you start to understand how the sausage is made Mm -hmm. and why you can't Mm -hmm. get funding for X and stuff like that. But also the heartbreak of what you went through at James Madison gives you an empathetic toolbox for athletes that Mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of coaches have. Do you ever take a step back and, and kind of look at how the puzzle pieces came together to make who you are today? I would say yes. My hour-long commute uh, (laughs) lends a hand to a constant um, run of the mind, which isn't always a good thing. But but also no, because when you're in the thick of it, you you can't see the same things. You have trouble zooming out sometimes, you know, and and like everyone, like we were talking about earlier, you, you think you're on a path and you love that path and then the path ends and you have to, you're forced to veer off or choose a different path and you don't want to at the time and you don't see why that's a good thing. So, you know, yes and no. I love where I'm at. I love the crazy adventure that it's been to get here. Are there things looking back that I wish I could change? I would still say yes at times, you know, but also I can see where it's a double-edged sword of that may not have gotten me where I am today. Um, had I had the four-year career at JMU, I may not be where I was, where I am today. And so I can recognize how great those things are, too. In retrospect, once again, not how you would design it. Do you think it's possible if you had done four years at a high level at JMU, you could have burned out on gymnastics? And the fact that you had to kind of throttle back, not by choice, but it wasn't that constant white-knuckle competition Maybe. that it it maintained your love Maybe. for the sport? Yeah. Or I've often thought through as well, you know, I wasn't necessarily at that high level. You know, I walked on at JMU. I didn't know if I would make a lineup. You know, I've thought through the other end, like, what if I ended up getting cut at a point? Not not because I didn't try my best, but just because my best still wasn't good enough. How would that have left a taste of gymnastics in my mouth? You know, would I be where I was today if that had been my story? Would I have stuck with it? in the scenario that I had heartbreak prior, you know, so those things I've thought about as well. But yeah, I still, I mean, it just brings me back to, it was such a crazy year that first year and something that I had teammates that really thought about transferring because of that love, but we all stayed. I didn't have one teammate leave. um, And that just made it so special to have that experience with them. So how does the opportunity at Ursinus come to you? And it, it seems to me that you realized you missed it. So was there, were there mm-hmm. I guess this was more you went searching for an opportunity, less that it kind of 
appeared and you thought, oh, that would be fun? Um, Actually, a little bit of the latter. So, you know, I had been obviously following the collegiate programs while I was in that administration job. This was also after I had gotten married and, you know, Matt and I, my husband, who also worked at Penn, you know, were pretty settled in the Philadelphia area. We have a row home in South Philly. So, you know, I knew that if I was going to coach, it was going to need to be in the Philadelphia area. You know, so I kept an eye out in the area, both in the collegiate realms and clubs. Um, And I enjoyed sort of the status that I had of popping into some local clubs, one specifically out in Berks County that I really enjoyed going out to. But I never expected the Ursinus job to open when it did. Um, Jeff Shepard, the longtime head coach, retired. And when the position was open, you know, I sort of, I remember seeing it open and kind of talked to Matt that night about it. And it was like, should I, should we apply? Should I apply? But it wasn't something that I was like thinking would happen or um, was waiting for necessarily. And then applied because we very much are like a, just apply. Why not? Thought process. And, you know, went through the interview process and ended up getting the position. So when you get the job and you take over, were there a lot of things that you didn't know you didn't know? Absolutely. Or really, even with all the, the work you did with administration and sure. stuff like that? Yeah. And of course, you know, had to learn a lot about Division Three, and had to learn a lot about the NCGA, which is that governing body for the majority of the D3 schools. Um, So in that way, I was still learning a lot, as well as learning to hire an assistant and be a manager of an assistant coach, run a gymnastics program with only two coaches on staff, work with our strength coach, just a lot of pieces that I had done previously, but never as the head coach. Um, So certainly a lot of organizational pieces that I had to learn pretty quickly. Um, I started in August of 2018, so the kids were standing in front of me, not Three weeks later. Ursinus is a high-level academic school. How much mm-hmm. does having the Penn experience, MIT, yep. and not to disparage any of the other schools you were at, but mm-hmm. these are really high-level academic mm-hmm. institutions. Yes. How much did that help? You understood the types of pools you could fish in yes. as far as recruiting is concerned. You are exactly correct. That certainly helped inform me at the start. And once I learned more about Ursinus, you know, I really dug in more with those pools and re-entered those networks that I had kind of not spoken with in a few years, maybe, which again was just every step of starting in 2018 was just a blast. Finding that first class um, who now actually are my seniors at Ursinus, it happened late. You know, I, I think I closed that class. It was probably around Easter that spring, which is very late in the senior year. But, you know, as my inaugural class, I really kind of did my due diligence looking around and figuring out, okay, what pieces were the most important. But it certainly was a huge help to have recruited at places like Penn and and worked at a place like MIT with those student athletes and the minds that just work a little differently. We talked earlier about what it's like when you nail a routine or something and that, that feel, can you get that same high as a coach? As a coach? 100%. I would actually argue that it's even greater. I'm smiling year to year because we've gotten into doing a bunch of team events at practice over the last week and they've just gone really well. And, and I've felt that same high to the point that like you're sending the, 
the team, the group me at the end of the night, like, I'm still so excited. Um, you know, when you see that hard work pay off of your student athletes and when you see them at their high that you've felt before, I would argue it's even sweeter than when you felt it. Something about knowing that you're a very small piece of it, but you just get to share in that with them. From a recruiting standpoint, academics aside, just for pure physical ability, are there events that are tougher to recruit kids for than others? Because, you know, football, Mm -hmm. elite tackles are difficult, quarterbacks Mm -hmm. are difficult, Mm -hmm. hockey goalies. Are there events that you really have to work hard to find someone that can specialize in in something? And if so, what is it? So I would argue bars and beam are typically the two events, as I referenced earlier, they're the two most detailed events. They're the two hardest events to be consistent on, you know, and maybe not everyone would agree with this, but that's at least from my experience. And thus those events, you're kind of always keeping an eye in the recruiting sense. However, the depth on beam in the country is much greater than that on bars and vault. So, you know, I find myself, especially at our sinus, the last few years constantly looking for, for bars and vault kids. With that said, you're still ideally looking for the all-arounder or the three-event kid, and bars and vault are two of those. A lot of the kids that I recruit are all-arounders, um, and then we taper as needed based on how they feel needs of the team, and so on. But bars and vault, I would say. Do you enjoy watching gymnastics where you have no, like, the Olympic stuff like that? We Can you just put it on and just watch as a fan, or are you constantly looking and, you know, not critiquing yeah, the sure. U.S. Olympics? But you know what I mean? Like, sure. can you look, are you able to just watch enjoy. it for an enjoyment standpoint? I can. I can. And part of that, I think, is because I was never that good. And... You know, I never felt the pressures of the elite international stage. Um, I've also never coached on those stages. Um, So maybe I would feel differently if that was the case. But I can still turn it on for enjoyment. Absolutely. If you were in a situation, I asked you earlier how, you know, playing basketball, if that helped. From a recruiting coaching standpoint, if you were put in the situation that's never going to happen, but you were hired somewhere and said you need to build a gymnastics program for me mm-hmm. and you need to take kids that are already here are there mm-hmm. sports that you would go to first that you think skill sets there Ooh. are things that you would be able to you could take the skill set and build mm-hmm. the gymnast mm. that's a great question matt so a couple of things pop in my head one the individual nature of the sport so the mental toughness it takes for that individual so i'm thinking of some individual sports that are are gritty women's wrestling comes to mind I think wrestling and gymnastics in general have a lot of comparable pieces. But also you could say some of the other intensity sports, you know, the field sports, the the basketballs of the world. Like I do think that both the team nature and that, you know, the constant motion, the quick twitch, you know, whether it's a soccer, lacrosse, more so probably lacrosse than soccer. Soccer, so much running. Gymnastics, no running. <laughs> um but the basketballs where it's a bit quicker paced, I mean, if a place had dance, you might want to pull from there for your choreography pieces and artistry. Yeah, that's a great question, though. Do you enjoy the artistry part of it and the choreography part of like floor routine stuff like that? I do. It's not necessarily the strongest 
um, or the biggest strength of mine. Um, I have choreographed specifically beam routines. Um, floor routines are tough for me. That creativity is beyond me. Um, but luckily, I've had some amazing assistant coaches in the past, India Anderson being one of them, who now is down at Fisk University, um, the first HBCU gymnastics team. Um, she choreographed at her sinus for three years while we had her, and she was wonderful. So I've certainly just surrounded myself with the people that can do it. We've also had some alumni help, and, you know, I enjoy it. I enjoy watching it. I enjoy, like, pretending to do it, but I'm just not the best at it. Favorite part of what you do? Oh, the relationship building with the young women. You know, whether it's gymnastics specific and we're helping you achieve goals or whether it's learning more about you as a person, learning what motivates you, um, learning your passions and and seeing you succeed, whether, again, in the gym or classroom or graduating, getting a job. But the relationships are certainly my favorite part. Kim Valenti, thanks so much for coming in. This was a ton of fun. Thanks for having me, Matt. And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank Kim Valenti, head women's gymnastics coach at her sinus college for being our guest this week. Now, if you like this show and you want to help us out, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at one-on-one-pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon 1060 Thanks so much for listening and be sure to check us out again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.